and welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We are recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Debbin. I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. You know, I've said it on the show before, gratitude is the secret to happiness. Right. There's no, it's a Prager principle, but it's one that I firmly believe in my life. And I'm, I'm just really grateful. I was sitting here thinking about what I was going to say when the show opened, because I never think about that till you start the intro. You you went somewhere tonight. It was funny. I was You usually accuse me of doing the Ray Charles thing, but yeah. you were over there just kind of zoning every I which just, one. I'm just thinking about how glad I am right here to be sitting yeah. in this chair right here right now. Yeah. It's, it, it's funny, too, because if you'd have told me that I would be excited to do the show tonight yesterday i wouldn't have believed you because i was just not i wasn't there well last yesterday last night you came by here and you looked like you'd been put through the ringer yesterday was a tough day um but because of the fact that i was able to kind of compartmentalize that and kind of set it aside okay i've addressed it i've i've relaxed i've i've stepped and now i'm 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 here it's the beauty of the cigar lounge exactly and uh so okay let's talk about our sticks so i brought you a stick tonight you did and I'll, so I brought you this. That's Don Pedro's new release. It is a pseudo box press. Pseudo box press. I think it's six and a quarter. I think it's a 52 somewhere in there. I was going to say seven by 52. So probably right in there. And I'll, um, Pedro brought me those and he had a bundle of them there. Um, when he came down and he, um, I picked up a bundle of them from him after I smoked one. I really thought that was good. And I'll, and because it's a great, it's a smaller ring gauge that I usually smoke, but that I'm learning to appreciate. Yeah. And I'll, it's a San Andreas wrapper. I, I could have, that was the one thing I was going to tell you. And of course, like all of Pedro's, it's Nicaraguan binder and filler, Nicaraguan puro, other than the wrapper. <laughs> Number, Nicaraguan purish. <laughs> and I'll, but um, I know that you're not as big a nut for his cigars as I am. But I get something off of that cigar. I'm not going to tell you what it is because I don't want to color your your interpretation of the cigar. Probably by saying that I get something off of it, you're going to be looking for it, which may be counterproductive. I mean, but I look I look for something in every cigar. Yeah. So that's not that's not too too challenging. So when I was down at the Madison, Alabama, at the Cigar Room's 10th anniversary, mm-hmm. and all our buddy Tom Petty was there. And they had a box of the Gurkha Nicaraguans, and I'd been talking about buying one, and Tom came up, and he was a um, very good salesman in getting me to go ahead and pull the trigger on a box of Gurkhas, the first box of Gurkhas I ever bought. And so they gave me a Gurkha Triad. So this is the Cadillac Gurkha. Right. The, well, yeah. Yeah, this, well, short of the His Majesty's Reserve. Yeah, well, I was going to say, that would be the Ferrari. This is the Cadillac. Yeah, yeah, that would be the Ferrari. This is the Cadillac. And uh, this retails on Mike's Cigars for $214.25 a stick. So this is definitely the most expensive cigar that's been smoked on the show. On paper. On paper. Yeah. And, uh, and, I'm, and I've been a little stressed about smoking this cigar on the show tonight. Because... What happens if you like it? What, what happens if I like it? What happens if I really hate it? Yeah. And I'll, it's, it's kind of one of those things. Every, every review I've read on it said it's great. It's not worth $200, but it's a good cigar. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll be happy if I end the night after lighting it and smoking it with that thought process. And I'll, so it's a um, 10-year Connecticut Ecuadorian wrapper, 7-year Dominican binder, 7-year Nicaraguan Honduran filler. 
at all. So there's a lot of years involved in the description of this cigar. Yeah. It says strength mild to medium. And I'll, um, what's your thought on the, the luxury cigar market, the super luxury cigar market? I think, I think there's a place for it. Um, I think it's interesting because it, we were talking about this last week about, you know, some, some brands are known, you know, you're going to pay money for a Padron Anniversary Series. And the more exclusive the series, you know, whether it's the 80th or the 50th or whatever, you're going to pay more for those and more for those and more for those. And you kind of know you're in the luxury market with that brand. Davidoff's the same way. Then you've got companies like Perdomo, Rocky, uh, 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 Romacraft, that you don't really associate with that that $20-plus cigar. So when they pull one out, it makes you it makes you take pause. Now we look at a company like Gurkha, and you go, okay, so they're no, they're known for being on the higher end of the scale. Um, I would go so far as to say overpriced from time to time, but um, uh, not trying to put that on them. And so when you come out with a cigar that you're telling me is worth two hundred and fifty dollars, that I I just can't wrap my head around any cigar being worth that much money. Yeah. That's, that's a high end. Does it change the oil in my car first? Right. Yeah. You, you, you really expect something magical to happen for that kind of money. Yeah. And I'll, but um, on the cold draw, I've got nothing. I mean, I, I'm really not getting anything out of the cold draw. So it's, it's apparently going to have to light it to actually find out what's going on. So while I light it, won't you launch into our first story? So this is pretty interesting because uh, we don't often get the opportunity. Uh, although this is actually the second story in just, a, a, I think, as many weeks where we've got a local story here. Uh, so this comes out of Smyrna, Tennessee, which is just about 15 miles down the road from here. Uh, two Rutherford County residents have used their, th- this goes back to exactly what you talk, have been talking about this whole pandemic. If you don't come out of the pandemic with a new skill or having made yourself better in some way, then you've squandered all of the free time that you saved not going to concerts and movies. And that, and that's basically what they've done. They have used this downtime to pursue their dream projects and they're building a, um, a, a building that's going to be a co-working space and cigar lounge. This is a great idea. I think so, too. I mean, think about how much business gets done in the cigar shop. And to have a place next door with some business, some office resources to go in hand-in-hand with that, that's pretty strong. You know, this shop that we're sitting in right now is the best daytime shop in the city. Bar none, I will will stake my reputation on that. No one has a bigger... uh, consortium of of customers that come in to do work during the day and no one else is as well equipped for it as they are here but these folks in Smyrna are giving them are going to give them a run for their money is and and that's exactly where i was going with that and the the reason for that is exactly what you said which is some business resources you know fax machine copiers you know we're mostly paperless uh, but there are some things that you have to print out there are some you know maybe your client doesn't want to meet you at the at the cigar shop because they don't want to smell like cigars when they go back to the office or whatever it's it's a great it I, to me it's a match made in heaven 
So here's the sentence that sticks out for me in this article. On the other side of the wall, Calvin Gatlin hand-built a humidor, cigar lounge, and bar where business leaders in Smyrna can converse. So if I'm not a business leader, I, I can't go. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, we're, we're going to talk a little tonight about the image that kind of surrounds cigars. Yeah. And, uh, and that statement kind of, do you think that's a quote from him? Do you think that's a quote from News Channel 5? They're on your side. Or who do you think that, uh, who, how do you think that statement manages to come about? Well, so they are, you know, they did, there's no quotes. So I'm guessing that came from the editor of the article. But it probably came out of what uh, Gatlin's vision for the place is. And it's, it's funny because I'm about, when we get to the next article, I'm going to do an about face and basically contradict what I'm about to say now. Sure. But that's, you know, when you start talking about, you know, flexible business space and, and renting, you know, workspace and, and office uh, frontage, you're talking about business leaders. Well, I will say they knocked it out of the park with the title, with the name of the business. Southern Flair Cigar and Social Lounge. That's just out of the park. I mean, it's yeah. a little long, but it's uh, but it it's got a certain you know. Uh, Steve Martin has a a great bit where he talks about how you know names are important. He says you go to the bank and, and you go to savings first, security and trust. You don't go to Jed's bank. Sure, and it's the same kind of thing. They're they're clearly trying to Jed's Bank and Bait Shop. Thank you. That's right. I'm sorry, I <laughs> forgot he expanded. So this tells you exactly the kind of clientele that they're looking for. You know, they want the business leaders. They want the people that they want employers. They don't just want employees. They'll take all kinds. Sure. You know, all comers are welcome, but it shows you who they're who they're marketing towards. Location's great. You yes. know, because if you think about. From Murfreesboro to Nashville, cigar lounges. There isn't any. You know, there's the Humidor in Murfreesboro, which is an excellent lounge, and then there's all the lounges in Nashville. Well, that 24 it's a corridor. Cigar desert. Yeah, that 24 corridor where a lot of people, you know, I firmly believe one of the secrets to a successful cigar lounge is when a man sitting in traffic and says, I could sit in traffic for the next hour and get home at seven. Or I can go sit at the cigar lounge, have a cigar when the traffic's gone, get home at 7.15. Right. I firmly believe there's a lot of the success of cigar lounges is based on that premise. of I could either sit in traffic or I could be having a cold beer, smoking a cigar. Well, especially, you know, Smyrna has quite a bit of commuter traffic, too. So, you know, I, could, I can also see, all right, I'm going to leave the office an hour early. I'm going to stop at the cigar shop on the way home. Once I've already gotten off the interstate... And then I'll work my last hour when I'm only 10 minutes from the house. You know, that way it's just that because it, it, it'll end up saving you 45 minutes by breaking it up that way. Well, and Smyrna is an area that's going to have to grow. So that's another when you're looking for the place to put that dream cigar lounge. That's another place you kind of got thing you got to think about. You kind of you don't want to open a cigar lounge paying the maximum amount of rent. Right. In order to attract a clientele. No. Because you're going to have some lean years. Exactly. 
So you want some, you've, it's kind of a futures investment. You've really got to look at what the market's going to do. So I, I think they're going to have a lot of success with this. I, I see a podcast there at some point in the future. I do, too. I wish someone would look at Bellevue that way because I'd love to have one closer to me. Yeah, yeah, Bell, but Bellevue's... Bellevue's limited by the fact that we've got the Cumberland River on one side, the Harpeth on the other, and I-40 running right down the middle of it. There's really nowhere to go. You know, the land in, that's in Bellevue is spoken for. So that that's part of what... Now, they are converting a lot of old, unused space into residential space, so that's going to... But uh, there's, there's still a long way to go. Oh, yeah. All right. Enough local news. So, from patch.com. <laughs> As in, like, the patch? The patch. I it's Chicago, Illinois, local classified. How to customize ravishing custom cigar boxes. Okay. I, I can't say, I can't use the terminology I used before we started recording, but I just, I take such issue with the, the use of the word ravishing in that. That's just, what are, the, what are you trying to say when you use a word like ravishing? Are you saying that I'm going to walk into the humidor and see this box and want to tear the wrapper off the cigar and have my way with it? That's, that's what <laughs> I, that's the impression I get, you know, and it's, it's, so basically the, the I wish, I, I wish this was a video podcast sometime so we could show this picture. This looks like. If you took a classic cigar box to a German design firm that is responsible for all of the benches in the Museum of Modern Art, and you ask them to design a cigar box, that's what they're going to do. It's all cardboard. All of the cigars are in glass tubes. It's, it looks like they've got little tea bag tags hanging off the it's all on an angle and it's stenciled and it's neon it's, green it's very it's just way too posh this is obviously somebody that's never actually walked through a humidor well and and this goes back you know when i walk into a humidor i want to see a cedar box i want to see a relatively plain band you know four colors maximum some animal imagery somewhere on it and that's it i don't need i don't need to feel like i'm paying half of the money for the cigar into the design firm that that did all of the marketing and the packaging and the true aficionado knows when they walk into the humidor you know tatuaje perfect example yeah. no frills amazing cigars right illusione no frills amazing cigars and then you get agonorsa agonorsa you know very simple simple basic design because you're there for the cigar and right. if the cigar doesn't hold up you won't buy the second one right well especially and i feel like cigar smokers are really discerning about the fact of you can't judge a book by its cover and I feel like, I feel like as as a as a hobby, as a community, we all see through this crap. I'm not going to look at that, and I, I'm expecting to see that next to the cash register at a stop and go uh, 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 discount yeah. tobacco and yeah. beer shop. You know, it just it, it frustrates me when I see so. so yeah, because it's that. Yeah, you can't. 
Well, if, if they have to spend that much on marketing to get me to buy the cigar, then it's because the cigar's not worth it. You know, you look at one of their their topics, their bullet points: product security with a sturdy and sustainable packaging. We covered this a couple of weeks ago. There's nothing more sustainable than the classic cigar box. Exactly, it'll last full of cash in a behind some drywall until until the raiders are are wandering the wasteland after the nuclear winter out there. Yeah. So to to say, oh, I want my cigar box to be a sustainable packaging, bless you, is um, really kind of, it's, it's somebody that, this is an article written by somebody who has no idea what, how cigars are sold. Well, and it goes back to something that we, that we teased earlier, and it's the first line in this article, and it just drives me crazy. Cigars are luxury products. No, they're not. We have talked so many times. I mean, we have an entire section of our show dedicated to budget-friendly cigars. You walk into a cigar shop, yes, you're going to see captains of industry. You're going to see attorneys and doctors and, you know, people who employ tens or hundreds of people. You're also going to see the self-employed plumber uh, or the construction worker or the tow truck driver. It doesn't have to. We are no longer... Guys in top hats and monocles. And I think when you have articles like this that perpetuate that myth that we're we're all somehow millionaires, that it it makes things much harder. And I think think we owe it to ourselves as a community to, to rein that in. You know, anytime legislation comes out against tobacco, it almost always targets cigar smokers. And it's because people have this idea in their mind made up that we have the money, that if you raise the price of my $12 cigar up to $30, that I'm just going to go ahead and pay it because it, because it's not an, an issue. And it's a, um, sorry for the big breath into the mic. You know, there's a certain amount of prestige I want to go with my cigar smoking. Of course. And there's a certain amount uh, I don't want to necessarily market this is the common man's hobby well so that's that's the issue and that's kind of why i wanted to bring this topic up is because you know at the same time i don't want people to think when i say i smoke cigars i don't want people to automatically think monopoly man but i also don't want to degrade the hobby so much that we get lumped in with the meth head smoking virginia slims on the corner either you know there's got to be a balance where you know, we're not the same as cigarettes. We're not the same as, you know, the tobacco industry, big tobacco, if you want to call it that. But at the same time, we're not, it's just, it's, it's like, it's like golf. Although that has the same kind of. Well, is there a marketing plan for the cigar industry that involves the fact, you know, we were talking about it 10 minutes before the show started, um, that this is a artisanal product. This is a handcrafted product, and the fact that you can pick up a good cigar for eight to twelve dollars is really a miracle. Yeah, hey, and look at the Charter Oak—you can get for less than seven. Yeah, you know there are great cigars out there for any budget. Uh, one of my—I—I I, I don't even know if they still make them or if they do. I don't know what they cost now. But when I first got into cigars, I was smoking four-dollar Don Tomas. You know, and and I felt like that was still a little bit of a luxury at the time, but. You know, I think I think I lost my train of thought. 
Well, it's yeah, it's interesting, and it may be a problem that doesn't necessarily need addressed. Not every problem needs addressed. Because legislatively... That's why I think it needs to be addressed, because we keep becoming the scapegoat. And, you know, and if you told me tomorrow that every single cigar that you and I smoke is just the brands we smoke, not the rest of them. Uh, if you told me that they're all going to increase in price 50%, so half again as much more, but you told me it was because all of the rollers, the growers, the cultivators, everybody who touches this cigar is getting a raise, I'll pay it. I will 100% pay it. But if you tell me it's because my senator needs a pension for the rest of his life, even though he only served two years, no, get out of here with that. Yeah, it's it's the path of least resistance. Yeah. And, to, and I do think there is something to be said for altering the image of cigars so that they are no longer that path of least resistance. Right. And also, okay, let's talk about the triad. Not getting a lot. Yeah. Well, I found it so interesting that the that the write up you found on it said it was a, a mild, mild medium, mild medium. Uh, the it's definitely mild. The wrapper is dark and oily. You would expect. Now you're not going to get a whole lot of punch out of a cigar with that much age on it. Sure, but you expect something from it. Yeah, if I had the most uncomfortable situation in the world... Would have been smoking that in front of Tom. Right, would be if somebody had <laughs> handed this to me and said, let's smoke these, you know, I, hey, you, I appreciate it, you saved my kid from the well, um, here's a $250 cigar. That had been the most uncomfortable moment of my life. They said, what do you think about that Gurkha? And, I'll, and I'm, I'm not too proud to say it, I'd had to lie. Well, but everybody likes a free cigar, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you do them just for us. Um, so I'm thus far, it's got a lot of work to do to get to good. Well, tell me about your Pedro experiences. I'm, I'm. It's funny because you're right. You did sort of set up that there's something in here that I'm supposed to find, and so I'm looking for it. I haven't found it yet. But what is? What is interesting to me is I'm pairing it with some coffee, and it's it, it's it's perfect. The so the shape and the toothiness of the wrapper. I'll go ahead and let the cat out of the bag since you since you've started smoking it. Um, Don Gonzalez, if you're listening, close your ears for a few minutes. I call it the Padron clone. Because the shape, the wrapper, the way the wrapper feels, the binder, the filler, it feels very Padron 9000 series in your hand. Yeah. No, that, yeah. I, I probably wouldn't have picked that out. Um, you're more likely to compare cigars against their rivals, for lack of a better term, than I am. So I, I very rarely look at that and go, oh, that's reminiscent of X. But you like it. But but you're right. That's that is what it's the the yeah the texture on that wrapper is identical. The texture on the wrapper, you know, and Pedro and I were talking about. It, and he said, you know, that's Padron was the first to really start using the San Andreas wrappers and utilizing them in that shape. And you know, everything about that cigar is very Padron esque. Yeah. 
And, and at the price he sells them in the bundles, it's an unbelievable deal. You know, of, of four or five bucks a stick. Yeah. It's really unbelievable that quality of stick. And I wouldn't go so far as to say it tastes just like a 9000. There's definitely a different flavor profile going on there. Yeah, there's going to, by clone, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just, for the benefit of our listeners, sure. I want to make sure. Um, that's not to that's not to be a, a, a knock against this cigar. You know, I, I I am really enjoying it, but it's but it is very similar in recipe as well. So I guess it makes sense. It does, and in shape and everything is it. That, I, I nicknamed that the Padron clone, mm. and all, and I, I do like it. I, I bought a bundle of them from him, and he sold a ton of those. He sold every bundle of those he had when he was in Madison. It's sweeter. That's what it is. Yeah. It, it's just a hair sweeter than, than the Padron. So, Dominican made Asylum Arkham shipping later this month. We're going to hit this real quick. Okay, so do you understand the Arkham Asylum reference? Yes. And all from Batman. I actually accused somebody of escaping from Arkham Asylum today and then promptly deleted the comment before you could see it. <laughs> <laughs> before I could give you. And we're going to talk about that in the second half of the show. Are we? Yes, that, that's part of my, my grand scheme in the second half of the show, this big topic we got coming up. Okay, that's, that's not, to not, bring me to task for not, not living up to my... Uh, anyway. So, for the first time in the company's history, they're going to release a Dominican-made asylum cigar. Um, it helped it enlisted the help of Generoso Iora, Iroa, uncle, Christ, uncle of Christian Iroa, and all to find the factory and create the tobaccos for this cigar. Um, it's not a limited edition, but it's a small first batch. I think they're just doing kind of an initial run of them. And comes in a 50 by 5 and a 52 by 6. 830, 860, not a bad. Not bad. Not a bad price point. I'll probably smoke one of these because I'm not anti-asylum cigars. I don't smoke a lot of asylum cigars. I'm the same way. I'm definitely not anti-asylum. They just don't make much for me. Yeah, they're they're just, they're they're way better than nothing. Right. And I'll, and they're But they're not as good as a lot. But they're not as good as, yeah, it's, it's what we say. You can't be good in the cigar business. Right. You've got to be great. So I'm interested to see what they do with a little Dominican tobacco. The Aroa people, always a wonderful family of blenders. I usually like the things they make. 100%. So we're going to, I'll be interested. I'll also be interested to see if DC Comics sends them a cease and desist letter. See, that's <laughs> that's what I wonder about this, too. Um, do they have, I mean, is Arkham, is that is that owned by DC, that name? I don't know. Uh, I have no because idea. It, because Asylum Cigars, that's, I mean, just because they choose to call it the Arkham doesn't necessarily mean they're true because the, the company name's been around forever, too. Well, Not as long as... And the gate the gate on the five-pack thing is really reminiscent of that classic Arkham Asylum gate that you see in all the comics. See, uh, I, was, I, was close. Tr- I was trying to figure that out. It doesn't, it doesn't look like a specific gate from any of the, the comics that... That stick, you know, the Killing Joke or, or right. Dark Knight Returns. So, so I wasn't sure if it was directly lifted or if it's just an homage. But that'll be interesting to see if something shakes out on that. All right. Well, boy, first half of this show flew by. Sure did. Let's take a break. When we come back, we got a bunch of new cigars to talk about, and we have the topic. All right. We'll be back with more after this.
Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the creator of the least sexy superhero in history, Captain Weights and Measures, Mr. Trey Deadman. <laughs> you knew that was going to turn into a bump joke when you it, told me that, it, didn't you? Eventually, I knew it was destined to, <laughs> but I wear it proudly. <laughs> the, the Captain Weights and Measures, not slaying the ladies. You know, I I, I do all right. And also explain to our listeners, Captain Weights and Measures. So, you know, we've, it's been a while, it's been a couple of years, but we talked about on the show once, you know, what's your superpower? You know, for me, one of them is always being able to find a parking spot right near the door. Wherever I'm going, I've, I've just got this uncanny ability. But the other is, is, is being able to measure things by eye. And so, you know, if we, we buy our ground beef at Costco. And so it comes in a big six pound and I break them out into one pound increments that I can vacuum seal and put in the freezer. And I very rarely have to go back and, and grab more or take some off. It's like, boop, there's a pound. Just the ability, just every time. I'm not sure how useful it is, but I'm glad you have a superpower. <laughs> so, um, Still waiting on the triad. Still waiting on it to give me something. Yeah. And uh, we're going to see what happens. But Rocky Patel celebrates 60 years with the 60. So we don't talk about Rocky a lot on the show. We don't uh, smoke a lot of Rocky. Well, it, this is not a big Rocky town. Uh-uh. It's just not a town that Rocky's really prevalent in. They, I couldn't even tell you who the rep is. Yeah. Um, I, I've not heard a lot. Of, you know, since Heath is no longer the rep, I've, I've not heard a lot about the new rep. In way, one way or another. And usually in our travels, we'll cross paths with most reps. Yeah. You and, and I never, smoke enough cigars in the middle of the day that we run into them. Yeah, I've never crossed paths with the, the new Rocky rep, so I don't know what's going on there. But anyway, so the 60 is made in Nicaragua at Patel's Tavi Cusa factory and wrapped in a dark leaf Mexican San Andreas, Nicaraguan and the rest of it. Um... Box pressed measures a Robusto five and a half by fifty, a Toro six and a half by fifty-two, and a sixty measuring six by sixty and a half Corona at three and a half by forty-six. Okay, Rocky, buddy, this should have just been a six sixty. Or yeah, yeah. If it's, I was gonna say, but you're right. It's his sixtieth birthday. It's called the sixty. Just make it in a 6x60 and call it a day. Well, and that's, you know, we were, we've talked about this. These special editions, you know, that cigar you're smoking there, that's the only size that cigar comes in. Right. That's the size that cigar was blended to. That's the cigar size that cigar was made for. And that's the only way he sells it. And I'll, I understand in the big cigar business how you would want to have a variety of cigars. But... For a special edition, I think there should be one size. Especially since Rocky does have a really good cult following. You know, there are a lot of people that smoke Rockies exclusively, and so they're going to buy this no matter what. You don't have to do the multiple sizes. I I agree with you, especially considering the 6x60 is such a popular size and that it's called the 60 and all that. Like, just... Just make it to that and, and be done with it. I, I do think special edition should be special. Well, and I like a cigar that just comes in one size. Yeah. I we like talked about Tatuaje earlier. Yeah. I like a cigar that I know they made it to be that Vitola. Mm-hmm. And that Vitola alone, 
and all it takes a little stress out of my life. I don't have to decide. Okay, am I gonna smoke the big one? Am I gonna smoke the Toro? Am I gonna, what, who? What did the blender? What size right. did the blender make this cigar to be? Right. Because there is such a range in flavors between sizes in the cigars. So, but it's gonna come out shortly. Um, nice wrapper, beautiful wrapper, and I will say they definitely spent some money on the on the boxing. To, to they they re- did. To, to reference our story earlier, this one is definitely, the packaging is outstanding. And I do like it when you open the lid and they kind of have the cigar recipe, a few words about the cigar and everything under the lid. Yeah, I like that too. Uh, does it a, tell you the roller's name? No. It didn't, or the blender, I mean? They never. They didn't tell me the blender on this one, so I would really like to have, have found out who blended this as part of the... If you want me to discuss your cigar, you need to tell me the blender. But speaking of blenders... We need to talk about a blender I love, Willie Herrera. Right. Works for Drew Estate. And um, we got two Drew Estate cigars that we want to talk about tonight. Actually, three, but two articles. Drew Estate announces Undercrown Dojo Dogmas returning for 2021. So they're releasing the Dojo Dogmas Maduro and the Sun Grown. And uh, I like the dogma. You know what? I'm going to derail us just a little bit here. You know what I found most surprising about this article? That Cigar Dojo is still around. I remember when it first launched as an app that was basically unusable as trying to be a social media outlet for for cigar smokers. If you had asked me then if they would still be around in 2021, I'd have said no. Good people that run it. I agree. But it just... All of my friends and I that that joined stopped using it within a week. Yeah, yeah, not as user friendly as you would like it to be. I haven't been on it in you know ten years, so I couldn't tell you if it's still that way. But yeah, I've it's and it's funny because the Drew Estate app itself is what I thought would kill Dojo because the Drew Estate app is a lot like the Dojo app, and I imagine that's one of the reasons why Drew Estate makes these special editions for the Cigar Dojo. Is to just it was part of the deal. Hey, we'd like to use something very similar to your engine. Um, what can we do to make this all work for everybody? Could be. And I'll, okay, here's my complaint. I like that the dogma always came wrapped in a brown wrapper. I always like that too. And here it is in boxes. So I know I'm paying a few bucks extra for the box at this point. Yeah. And also, um, but I'll probably end up smoking one or two. The so. It's a balance in the cigar business. Very rarely could you buy one dogma. You usually ended up buying the, the little brick. Pack. Yeah. yeah, the brick of dogma. And all, and that was okay because they priced it very competitively for the cigar it was and really worked out. That being saying, saying said, I want to try the sun-grown dogma. And did, all. Did they, did they not have a sun-grown one already? I thought they did. If they did, I have not come across okay. it in my travels yet. Okay. I've yet to capture one in the wild. Oh, de- debuted in September of 2020. So, d- debuted a- about eight months ago. Yeah, during during the the dark ages of 2020. Mm-hmm. And I'll so um, I'll, I'll give it a shot, but I do like it. And all the um, the sun grown is an Ecuadorian Sumatra sun grown wrapper, Connecticut Valley stalk cut, Habano binder, and Nicaraguan fillers. The um, Corona Viva is a San Andreas wrapper, Connecticut stalk-cured bu- stalk Habano, and Nicaraguan Brazilian Matafina leaves in the binder. So, um, good cigars. 
really good cigars. And I don't know. Does it seem that Drew Estate has become the man? Does it seem like Drew Estate is less the outlaw cult following cigar brand that it one time was? So is this is this just us finally getting to the point where our our preconceived notions about the Swisher purchase are starting to come true? Has it just taken this long? Is that what we're seeing? Well, a lot of the key people have quit Drew Estate. Right. You know, Jesse Flores left, and several others have left. Willie's still there blending, so I'll still smoke their stuff. But there have been, you know, Dirty Fabian left. There's been a lot of guys kind of step away from Drew Estate that were longtime Drew Estate, you know, superstars. Yeah. And also, I think and that may have something to do with Swisher. It may not. It may just be the evolution. Well, because I remember that, you know, the, the concern that, a lot of us had around that around that that merger or acquisition was that they were going to change the culture and yes it's been 8 years now or however long it's been but i mean i wonder if it's just taken us this long for for some of the spirit of jonathan to to just be squeezed out well Drew Estate hadn't put out anything that knocked my socks off recently. Right. And they were kind of the king of dropping a cigar that would knock your socks off. I think the last one was the Undercrown. Yeah, the Shade was the last one that really knocked my socks off. The Sungrown was a little bit of a disappointment for me. You liked it at first, but it didn't hold up to multiple smokings. Yeah. The, um, you know, the Rats, the Velvet Rat, the Ratzilla, all of the Rat stuff is always good, and all the Liga stuff is good. But even that's not what it used to be. Yeah, it just it seems like Drew Estate may be kind of leaving that subculture roots, and nothing makes that more evident than this next article. Drew Estate updates Nicarustica packaging. Um, okay. This is another one that has always been in bundles. And the Nicarustica has always been the little cigar that could. Yeah, well, and, and rustic. I mean, that's kind of the point. Yeah, kind of the point. It was kind of the, it could be the sleeper very easy because it didn't catch your eye when you come in the humidor. Um, They gave away a lot of these as part of buy ones, get ones, but always a solid smoke. That being said, I do like the design. I do like the design of the box. See, I hate it. See, now, if you separate it from what they've done to this cigar, then I I don't like it. As a Nicarustica box, I, I don't like the the change away from that rustic bundle kind of you get what you get type of atmosphere around it to this we're going to make it look good on a shelf. Okay, what's so uh, what's the artist trying to convey? Go to Half Wheel and take a look at this, everybody out there. It's a giant man walking past a couple of houses with a leaf in one hand and a spray paint can in the other. Yeah, I guess it's, I mean, well, so the graffiti stylization has always been a feature of Drew Estate's marketing and their artwork. So I assume this is a throwback with the spray paint can of, you know, kind of a throwback to that graffiti style. And, but it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't play. Yeah, it just, this, this to me makes me less likely to buy a Nicarustica. 
Yeah. Because it looks like a, a cartoon cigar at this point. It, it, it always was the cigar smoker's cigar. This, this to me, is a step back for the Nicaragua. Although, I've got to say, they were... Somehow they were they were able to do it without increasing prices. The six by fifty two is still five seventy six. The belly, uh, the seven and a half by fifty four bellicoso is still six forty eight. I mean, and can you be seven and a half long and be a bellicoso? Yeah, <laughs> no, okay. Seven and a half just seems more churchilly than bellicoso. Well, but it's the it's the tip. Okay. Well, it, yeah, they managed not to increase the price, which is a good move. But I'm, I'm not on board with this particular phase of marketing. I do want to say, because I, this is the one time that you can give a, a specific name to a size, and I'm okay with it. Because it's spelled out belly like, like a good old belly laugh. Instead of, you know, obviously short for bellicoso. Sure. But it's, yeah, you can call, you can call it a belly. I'm fine with that. You know, yeah, and we might as well stop complaining about them naming the sizes different things, because that's here to stay. It is. I know. I can still old man yells at clouds. I can still do that all I want. <laughs> okay. And I'll, but you know, but so you're right. I'm just going to have to keep complaining about it. This to me is very reflective of the fact that Jesse Flores, their artist, left. Yeah. Because this is not his style. You know, that man had such a gift for art. Right. His gift was so apparent in the art. And all, which kind of brings me to our topic tonight. How do you, you know, so I'm going to give you the question, and then I'm going to explain what brought me to the question. Okay. How do you help your fellow man to find his gift? And I'll so okay, this is Shane bragging. I don't do this often. I know you. I, I I know this is going to shock you to hear me say anything just about myself. Just okay. this once, and I'll, but just this once, I'm going to brag a little. I have a real talent for designing homes. The way homes come together in my head, and the angles that I see come together, and the features that I'm able to incorporate into low square footage homes, is nothing short of just talent, just a gift. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm in home plans is nothing short of divine intervention. And uh, it's kind of amazing. Um, I never took a drafting class, had never sat in front of a drafting board till I went to college for drafting. Um, I never was an artist, never doodling on the side of my spiral notebook or trapper right. keeper. My handwriting is atrocious. And uh, there's never been anybody come up in my life and put their hand in my back and say, I always knew you'd be a draftsman someday. Right. Never going to happen. Um, it happened that ITT Tech called on the right night when I was in the right mood, and I walked in and told my parents, hey, I want to go to ITT and get a degree in period design. And my parents, being my parents, said, okay, and I'll, and helped me through that. It's one of the greatest gifts they've ever given me in my life. And then my road through all the way to where I am today to being the designer that I am today and the things I'm capable of doing has been just nothing short of divine intervention. It's just kind of amazing. There was, there was no paths. There was no, um, you know, Tommy Lee's famous for how did we, everybody knew Tommy Lee was going to be a drummer because he used to line up pans and pots and beat on them with spoons. Right. There's none of that in my life. Right. This just flat come out of nowhere and found out I had a talent for it. And I, and I was talking to a friend of mine that is kind of at that stage in life where he's never really found his gift. I believe everybody has a gift. I believe everybody has at a, least one. 
Yeah, at least one. But everybody has the capacity to do something better than anybody else. And I'll, and I want to, um, how do you help the person find that gift? I don't know. I, you know, you, you brought this up to me earlier today. And, and so I've been thinking about it and ruminating on it. And, and, you know, I think it's, I think there are so many people out there that don't even know how to find their own gift that it makes it hard to figure out how to help someone that can't do that. You know what I mean? It's how do you, it's so unique to that person and you can say, okay, well, yeah, you've got a, you've got a knack for this or you've got a, but you know, are, are you talking specifically from a career aspect of uh, a gift they can make money at? Uh, well, anything that you're better at than everybody else, you can make money at. To a certain extent, for the most part, yeah. I mean, I mean a, a person that can sit and draw, you know, I've always wished that I could sit and just draw. I wish that I could sit in the woods and capture that moment when the frost is crisp on the ground and the deer walks slowly, basically comes in out of the mist yeah. and becomes the animal there. And I, I've always wished that I could capture those moments that I get to capture in my head on canvas and draw them up. Oh, we were at Smoker's Abbey. It's been a while ago now, but um, we, we were at Smoker's Abbey before the pandemic, and there was a there was a young lady there who was using a wood burner to draw a sort of a, a forest-like scape on a drum. And it was a custom kit that, that somebody had commissioned her to do. And there's a guy that, that makes a living playing the drums. And so she he gave her the, the exposed wood uh, actual drum bodies. And she's just freehanding it. It was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Oh, uh, yeah. I, just to have an ounce of that talent. Well, and you see the guys that take a chainsaw and make these amazing structures out of chainsaws and carve bears and sasquatches and out of wood using a chainsaw, not out right. of chainsaws. But the, the chainsaw carvers, because there's, there's no way to take a stump and sketch a bear into it. Right. You have to just cut away everything that isn't a bear. Yeah. And, all, and it's, it's so amazing to see that. And you wonder, how did, how did, that, how did they find out they could do that? You know, were, were they out one day playing with their chainsaw like we're all prone to do on a Sunday afternoon and just started carving and a bear emerged from the wood? Right. You know, how do they how do they do that? But there's, you know, Man Card Academy is a big passion in my life that one day when I'm wealthy, I will found. And I'll, and it's the basis of Man Card Academy is to teach young men the skills that they need, how to change a tire, how to grill a steak, how to order, how to treat a lady, how to do all of the things that young men are not getting taught to do nowadays. And I'll, we sit in here one night and made a giant list of courses for Man Card Academy. But I also think there needs to be an, an aspect of Man Card Academy for that 28-year-old that's working at, you know, Arby's, that's never found that gift that they have. I think, I think it's an interesting thought. It's an interesting concept. I, I, I agree with you that I think everybody has at least one gift. Some people have more than one. Um, my thing is, is try it. That, that's my, you know, uh, I forget who it was that, that said it most famously, but a lot of people have co-opted it. You know, don't ask why. Ask why not. 
so so your course would be through exposing yourself to many many things yeah I, i so when i was in my early 20s it was right around the time that uh bow ties were coming back in vogue and i really liked the look i liked the style and so I wanted to sort of grab a couple of bow ties and, and start adding that to my wardrobe, that sort of thing. But at the time, I, I was not making a, a large amount of money, and they were all $50 or, or more. You know, it was, it was, I guess that's the downside of being on the cutting edge of a trend is that, you, you know, you, you pay for access. So I, I just came up with the idea that I was going to take some old dress shirts that I didn't have anymore. And I was going to find a way, I was going to find a pattern, buy a sewing machine, teach myself how to sew. I didn't, I had never even so much as come within three feet of a sewing machine. And, and I started doing it and I, I sold a couple, you know, I, I made it into a little side gig kind of thing. I never would have, you know, if I had not just had the idea of, you know what, try it. Just, just see Sewing is one of my favorite hobbies. It is so relaxing. It's so rewarding to see something, you know, come to life right mm-hmm. in front of you. And so, yeah, I think for me, it's if you have the slightest little nudge at something, just try it. You know, it, 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 I realize there can be a barrier to entry on some things, but. Well, no change comes without pain. There's, you know, a, a great return, a great principle of men's fraternity is dying to live. Right. As you add things to your life, certain aspects of your life must die. And all. And so dying to live comes that. So there, expect the barriers. Right. You know, prepare yourself for the barriers and find way, finding ways to overcome those barriers is as much part of learning how to sew as it is grabbing a sewing machine. True. But at the same time, I guess, I, I guess the point I was trying to make is let's say you... You know, you watch a you you watch a golf tournament on TV, and you realize that it just it looks like you want to try it. So you've got the barrier entry, and then you realize you kind of enjoy it. But then you okay, this is this is my passion. This is something that I really well. If you want to make a living at it, you've got to you would have to quit your job because you've got to play at least five times a week. You know, the, those are barriers to entry that I'm talking about. The, you know, uh, of turning something because you you said if you're better than somebody else, then someone will pay you to do it, and that, and for most things in life, that is true. But I, but that's where that barrier. To, I was talking with a guy about it. I've got a I've got a side business that I own, and have for about three years now, and it's always going to be a side business because I don't possess the cojones to just quit my job and pour my time and attention into building it up to what it could be. I I know the business is out there. I just don't have the bandwidth to do it. And I think that's true for a lot of people. Well, uh, yeah, so it's exactly what you said. Don't ask why, ask why not. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see golf and you think, I wonder if I've got any talent for golf, you can always borrow a set of clubs from a buddy. Yeah. Or rent a set of clubs at the course or just go to Top Golf. Yeah. You know, you can always you can always find a low-cost way to at least try something out. And, you know, there's been a great deal of things in my life that I have gained a certain level of proficiency at, but I know I'll never be great at. Right. You know, I'll probably never be a great golfer because I'll never hit 5,000 balls a day. 
Right. It's you, not. It, I wouldn't enjoy hitting that. It would be work. Well, you know, you look at the outdoor channel. You're you're quite the sportsman. You enjoy spending time outdoors with a gun in your hand. And there there are a handful. I wouldn't say there are hundreds, but there are a handful of people that make a living hunting. Mm-hmm. And I have no doubt that you have the skills to be able to do that. You've, Lord knows you've spent your 10,000 hours. But, yes, do you possess the drive? Do you possess the, you know, do, do you do it, do you bring something to the table more than the people who are already doing it? Well, and this comes to something that, as we, as we land this topic, this comes to another topic that's going to come up sometime in future podcasts. I am prepared to create the quality of life equation. I'm actually going to call a meeting of the Brain Trust here one night and bring in a whiteboard and dry erase markers and bring to life what is the quality of life equation. You know, there's so many aspects, because I always talk about running the quality of life equation. Right. How many hours do you want to work? How much money do you want to make? How much time do you want to spend with your family? These are all factors of the quality of life. You know, it's comic book heavy, comic book heavy <laughs> podcast tonight. Dark side, you know, yeah. ravaged the universe searching for the anti-life equation and all. And I'm ready to ravage the universe in search of the quality of life equation because I believe if you could explain to the average man or woman or child what is... Here, here's the equation. Plug your numbers in to this quality of life equation, and it will give you a compass that will point you toward where you want to be. Well, and I've, I've, I think I've said it on the show before, but I know you and I have talked about it. Like, I have, you know, there are all these people out there in the world that, are, you know, billionaires that still continue to work because what drives them is more. It's just the word more is all they know. I'm not that person. I have a quality of life equation, and as a result of that, I have a number. Once I reach a certain number, I'm retiring. I, it, it could happen tomorrow if I hit the lottery. It could happen. It could never happen. But I already know that based on the lifestyle I want to live, the hobbies I have, the amount of time that I want to spend with my family, and the things I want to do, I know what my number is. Yeah, it's just a. Um, it, it's interesting. It's, it's something that bears further contemplating but I think I think we have to to answer the question posed at the beginning of this conversation um, to find your gifts you must expose yourself to the world <laughs> be careful about your company <laughs> well, yeah but you must expose yourself to all of these different aspects and see where that lands well, what what really and when you find it, you know it. Yeah, well, and you look at, you know, so many you know, great actors that just, they thought it sounded like fun, so they joined their community theater, and now they're making millions of dollars in the movies. You know, it's, it's, you never know when that inspiration might strike. And so, yeah, you've got to expose your stuff, yourself to things that you don't have any experience with, because how else are you going to find that thing that, that lights you up? Well, you know... Um, the greatest example, Arlie Ermey, mm-hmm. the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket being his most famous role, but I've seen him in a million roles since then. Always as that character, but... Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. he didn't he, he didn't overplay depth. No, no, he did not. <laughs> but he, um, he was a consultant for the guy they had that was going to play the drill instructor on Full Metal Jacket, 
And they finally just fired that guy and told Arlie Ermey to do it. Right. And he did it. And he parlayed that. And he would have, as a Marine drill instructor, he would have never, you'd have never, when he was became a drill instructor at the happiest day of his life, said, by the way, you're going to be an actor that stars in a million films. Right. <laughs> yeah. And all. Doing, doing exactly what you do now. But because he chose to embrace that, and I'm sure there was some work, I don't think it came easy to Arlie Ermey. No. I don't think the acting aspect and the movie-making aspect and TV show-making probably didn't come easy to Arlie Ermey. But he had a talent. He had a skill that he was able to bring to that environment. And, so, and that's the other thing I would say, just to put another pin on that, is, is not only just exposing yourself to things you may not know that are interesting to you, but also look for different arenas to do the things that you're already doing. You know, because that's a perfect example. You know, he had a skill set. He had a talent as a drill instructor. And that was what he was good at. That was what he had made a career doing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Someone says, come do this on film. Well, he'd never done that before. But because he had such a strong skill set, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you're a welder and, you know, you're just making little parts for scooters and you're just kind of making the same, you know, stacking the same 10 dimes over and over again. And then you go to a like a, an art museum that has a big sculpture exhibit, and you go, "Oh wait, I've already got this talent. Let me do it in this other arena." Yeah, very very interesting. But just as part of building the better man, I think I think if you don't know what your gift is, you better be looking for it. That's a that's a nice pin to put in that. <laughs> China last article. Oh, what are we doing? <laughs> last article, real quick. I, I don't want you to think I'm shortchanging the listener. You're definitely not this week, no. China becomes number one market for Cuban cigars, overtakes Spain for top spot. And all this from Ficionado just came out yesterday, as a matter of fact. So China has now surpassed Cuba. Now, there's still, in the continent of Europe, more, more Cuban cigars sold. There's still right. where most Cuban cigars go. Right. But for a single country, China has... Is this kind of, um, I don't know, I guess my vision of China is so different from what it actually is. Well, so, and that's that's why I, you talked about kind of throwing this article on under the rug if we didn't get to it, and that was part of why I wanted to talk about it. You know, we have this, depending on which cable news station you listen to, uh, you, you can have two wildly different opinions of what the nation of China is like. By and large, there is, yes, a lot of poverty. There's a lot of rural agrarian uh, communities. But it's also the fast, the strongest and fastest growing economy in the world right now. Everything that you touch in front of us has at least some component that came out of or was manufactured in China. There, you know, so it, it's one of these things that, that and I've, I've watched a couple of documentaries about other things that t that touch on this aspect of China, which is that being rich is is actually the is in and of itself a status symbol right now. And so, in China, if you can afford cigars, because they are you know we were talking about going up to thirty, you know they cost the equivalent of about eighty dollars just for your basic cigar. But but like projecting status symbols has become like a, a huge trend among that. So I can see absolutely why Cuban cigars would take over. It's, it's interesting. Like I said, my views of China are probably 
different than what it is. I'm, I'm willing to accept that I could be wrong on my views of China. Because I, I just see oppression. I don't see any beauty in China. We, we have a tendency to look at look down our noses at communist countries as being the few people in power and then everybody else. And everybody else is miserable while the people in power, you know, squander all the riches of the nation. And in modern communist countries, that's really not the Now, in the old you know, dictatorial kind of uh, countries of, of, you know, 200 years ago, that was much more true. But now it's more like the Indian caste system. Yeah, they'll still run over you of a tank if you protest. Well, they said, but even that was 40 years ago now. Can you believe that? Um, but the... That was 40 years ago that that story got out. Well, yeah. But <laughs> my point is, my point is there are, there are levels now. So, you, you know, China has a middle class. They have an upper class, and then they have a ruling class. And, they, and then, of course, they've got classes below middle class as well. It's not all just famine and, and poverty versus the, the bureaucracy. It's interesting. It's interesting, too. Articles like this are important because it is indicative of um, maybe our viewpoint of somewhere is not the truth of what it is. Well, and you've also got to think, like, even just the law of large numbers, right? It's the, it's the largest country on the planet. So having the largest economy, like, you've got to have enough people running all of that that there's going to be a large demand for cigars. Very interesting. All right. So rate me the Don Gonzalez. I'm going to give it a six. That's, that's a very good rating. Yeah. Uh, I, you're right. I'm not a huge, I'm not as big a fan of Don Gonzalez cigars as you are. That being said, you know, one... Th- <laughs> There's one thing that you you cannot fault Don Gonzalez for, and that's the draw. I know when you put this in my hand that it's going to draw well, and it has burned evenly. It has drawn very, very smoothly through the whole thing. Once you once you pointed out the the Padron clone uh, aspect of it, it didn't change my opinion of the cigar. I was already really digging it, but it definitely did. Um, Give me a better insight into a different frame of reference. Yeah, yeah. So no, I, I would say I would I would absolutely smoke a bunch of these. The triad is a four. Yeah. At bet on a good day, on a good day the triad's a four. The flavor went from non-existent to kind of okay. Now I'm in the last third of it and it's kind of sour. Yeah. Um, it's not a good cigar. If I'd paid two hundred and fifty dollars for this cigar, I would have, I, I would have been very. I'd never bought another Gurkha product as long as I lived. Right. And um, it's just not good. <laughs> I mean, it's just. I appreciate that it was given to me. I appreciate that I had the opportunity to sit here and smoke it. But, yeah, it's just it's yeah. a four. Yeah. And all, but all right. How do I get hold of Stray? You can reach us at facebook.com slash the cigarcast, email info at the cigarcast.com, and Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast. So if you've smoked a triad and you loved it, send me an email. I'd like to know why. I'd like to know how. I'd like to know. Um, I don't know of an environment that this would benefit, but if you have smoked one and you loved it, please email me and let me know. So until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us.